text is from Romans 8. I will be reading verses 31 through 39. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died? More than that, who was raised to life? Is at the right hand of our God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for, you, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, and all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Today, uh, after I finish up and before uh, we sing uh, the happy birthdays to the people here today, Mark Music is going to give just a, a brief announcement about the angel tree. It's a really neat thing that the church here takes on uh, that's an exciting thing that we can be a part of today. And so Mark will share some of that. Um, Romans chapter 8. Now, this is, I'll tell you, some, some weeks are more frustrating than others preparing the words of God. And to try to take all of Romans 8 in one week is, we're, we're going to come back, okay? We're going we're to run through some of this, but we're going to come back another time and unpack Romans 8 some more. Because there is some stuff that, that should really change all of us in how we view life and just how we live as far as, uh, as the things that Paul says here. If you look back in the verses just right before we get to Romans 8, what happens is Paul shares to the Romans about what it looks like when, we, when we're slave of sin. We want to do good, but we can't do good, and it just seems like nothing ever seems to work right. And never, no matter how hard we try, we always go back into those sins again. And right on the tails of that, he says in chapter 8, verse 1, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Okay, so what we see here, and there's more verses, and Paul unpacks this some more, but we've talked about this before. We've seen it in Romans. We, we talked about it when we talked about what it means to live by the Spirit of God, is that we've got a choice. We can either live by the Holy Spirit, and we do so, we choose to live the way that God wants us. We have freedom, there's life, there's peace, there's resurrection. And you see all of those descriptive terms come up over and over again. And ultimately, we decide we're going to be slaves to righteousness. Instead of being a slave to whatever I want to do and pursuing evil, 
I'm going to be a slave to whatever God wants me to do, and I'm going to give my best to that. And I'm going to be, because there's no better master to serve than, than this God who created us. And when I get in step with my creator, boy, things just work, and it's so much better in, in that situation. The other option is, uh, if we live by the flesh, death is the term that keeps coming up over and over again there, and we become slaves to sin and fear. Um, how many of you have been slaves to sin and fear before? Yeah, you, you, it's not good. You don't want to go back there. And Paul's reminding them, if you keep going back to, to the sinful nature, you're going to get enslaved again. You're going to become this slave to this sin and fear, and that's what's going to lead your life. And he continues on here. We'll look at um, uh, down at, at verse 14 through 17. Go ahead and skip over there. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit who re you receive does not make you slaves so that you are in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Okay, so what's shared here is that we have become God's children, uh, co-heirs with Christ, adopted children of God. It works something like this. Um, how many of you have, there's, now this, this analogy will, will um, hit closer to the heart than some others. But how many of you, if um, somewhere in your head, at some point in time, would think, have thought, I think it would be pretty neat to own a huge ranch for myself? How many of you have thought that? I've thought that probably because I've never worked on a ranch before. That's, is that true? That's true. I haven't. Because I think if you have to work on a ranch. See, what my experience with ranch is that's where you go to hunt animals. And so it's all good and warm and fuzzies and all that kind of stuff. Okay? Not everybody has that experience. Okay? But think about this. Is that there is, a, just imagine someone um, in this area that, that would have a huge, huge ranch. And somewhere along the line, there is there's a child that is... Um, that is full of trouble and, and full of heartache and, and, and there's just things haven't gone well in their life. And this family adopts that child and from the moment they're brought into the family, they're taught how the ranch works and, and they're taken around on horses to see the, this grand expanse of this ranch and how beautiful it is and how wonderful it is. And the child is told, it said, someday you're going to run this ranch. This is going to be yours. You're going to be the person that, that helps things go forward and you're going to have all the, the joy that, that is going to be given to you. And just imagine with that child, an ideal circumstance, appreciates so much that they've been brought into this family that they are going to be an heir someday to inherit this big, this big ranch with all the things that are, all the blessings that come with it. And so that's the context that we're given, as Paul is sharing, is that you have become n not just people that are loved by God, but you're co-heirs. You've become part of, of God's kingdom, and you're going to inherit the ranch someday, and this is great news. He continues on. Let's go to uh, verses 18 through 25, and we'll, we'll again, we'll just hit, hit parts of this. But look at verse 18. It says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So in other words, no matter what we have to go through right now, we're going to inherit the ranch and it's all going to be worth it. And it's all going to be wonderful someday. And so whatever you have to put up with, just keep pushing because it's going to be worth it. It's going to be good. If you just look in the next verses there, um, 18 through 25, we won't read through all of that. But what he talks about is, Paul shares that the creation and us as people as well is 
we've been, we're in process. We're not what we're going to be someday, but we are struggling along with, with, with not liking where we are and knowing that we're headed for something else but not being there yet. You know, I've talked about the concept already but not yet, and that's where we live in this life. We know that, that we're not slaves to the sinful nature anymore. Hopefully we're walking past that. But at the same time, we're not in heaven with God and, be, and become transformed of what we're going to be someday. And so we're in this transition state waiting for things to, to be great someday, waiting to inherit the ranch. Go ahead and skip down to um, verses uh, 26 through 30. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we all know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Okay, so in the meantime, since we haven't become all that God wants us to be and all that we're going to be at this point in time, what, what's, what do we do in the meantime? How does all this work? And he talks about how there, the Spirit works with, with groans, inward groans that words cannot express to help us get our message to God is the short of it. Um, I've always wrestled with that. What does that mean? How does, how does that work? I'm not sure how all this, this comes together. And when I went back and I, I learned about the context, okay, we're, we're speaking to Romans here. Um, that they're accustomed to worshiping idols. And oftentimes within idol worship, how it works is you'll have these books of mantras or specific words that you need to say in order to get the message across. And so what you're doing, prayer, is not about a relationship. It's about manipulating that God to do what you want. And so when these Romans, before they became Christians, would go to the temples, they would know the phrases to say, oftentimes a specific phrase that they would say over and over and over in an effort to try to call that God's attention. And Paul is saying here is that that's not really how God works, is that this Holy Spirit working in us allows, <laughs> translates if you want to say, is that how many of you have gone to God sometimes, you say, I really don't know what to say today. You know, that was not... That, that didn't happen in the pagan world. You could not approach God that way, any gods that way. But for us, we can approach God and say, God, I'm not sure what to pray for, and I'm not even sure what to think right now, but I just, would you just do something? Would you just work? Would you just be the God that I know that you are? Because I don't know what to do right now. And those are those, somehow, as God's Spirit works in through those situations so that you know, God knows. God knows where we're at. We don't have to have the perfect words. We don't have to have everything figured out. We just uh, allow God to continue to, to speak through us, in us, in ways that, that, that he gets it. You know, he gets it. And not only that, but um, we see in the meantime is that God is, the um, Spirit works through prayer, and that God works for the good of his people. Did you catch that? And we know that in all things, in verse 28, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That is quite a promise from God, is that God is going to to work for the good of those who love him. Um, Now that, when we talk about the word good, sometimes our tendency is just to think, wow, 
that means that everything that I pray for, I get, or, or there's going to be no heartache or anything like that through life. And that's not ever what, what is shown here in Scripture, but calls for the good. When you think about, or those of us that have children at this point in time, when we talk about wanting the best for our children or what is good for our children, does that mean that we spoil them and give them everything they ask for and, for, and give no discipline whatsoever? That's not good. No, that's not good. Sometimes we expect that from God. I just want all the, all the stuff that I like. I, I just want the whipped cream and I don't want anything else, you know. But there is, God works differently than that. Is God is always working in our lives and through our lives and the people's lives around us to help get us to heaven and, and to, for us to live out what, what he wants us to. He is uh, working continually to try to bring good into this world and to, to break into um, so that we can be the people he wants to be, wants us to be. You see that in Scripture, that there's God disciplines the children he loves. And that's what we get from God, is we get God continually looking out for us for our betterment. Um, and I think when I, I think about that, that changes the way I live. Because it helps me not to be um, throw such pity parties. It helps me to uh, be more courageous. Because I know that somewhere, somehow, in situations that are frustrating and uncomfortable... I know that God is there working somewhere in order to do something good and bring something out of me that I, that I probably need. And um, can you think about those situations in life? Um, can you think about times where you hit a rough patch and came out on, the, on the, the tail end of that rough patch and was able to look back and think, wow, you know, maybe I needed to learn something there. Can you relate to that? I can. You know, I go through that. My wife tells me that all the time. But no, I'm kidding. That's... Uh, but I go through those patches where I have, to, I have to learn. And God is working for the greater good to bring that out in me. Uh, let's continue on here. Look at the next verses here. And we won't read these yet. But verses 31 through 39. Lance read these. And I'm going to read them again because there's so much here. But there's a phrase that comes up. He says that we, in all these things, verse 37, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors. This phrase can imagine with the the Romans sitting in the room listening to this. Who are these conquerors? What is this? What is all that about? I've got some pictures here of Roman conquerors. This is Julius Caesar. How many of you know who he is? Now, Julius Caesar would have lived um, a, a chunk of time before this. There's people that that would have read the the letter to the Romans and may have been alive during the time of Julius Caesar. Um, but he was a, a Roman general that consolidated power, and he was the first emperor of Rome. And he was uh, executed there in the Roman Forum. You can go there. You can see right in the corner where he's executed now. But he was one that became a hero because he brought peace and brought unity, brought people together at a great cost that we'll see because the Senate no longer has power after Julius Caesar became a great conqueror. But you see all throughout Rome, as, there is, as, as I mentioned to you, these arches that, um, that honor the different conquerors. Here's another one, uh, Caesar Augustus. He was uh, the one who, uh, there was a, a power vacuum for a while after Julius Caesar, and Augustus is the one that eventually came to power. Jesus was born during the time that Augustus was the emperor in Rome. Augustus became very powerful. And he was known as being a very good ruler. There's a lot of uh, tremendous things that he accomplished. And there are statues all over Rome that people would walk up and down and look and say, wow, that's Augustus, that's him. Yeah, pretty amazing guy. He did a lot. That's our heroes. Those are the people that we look to. Here's another Roman conqueror, Nero. Um, 
Things didn't go as well for him as some of the others. But Nero was, uh, was one that probably during the, when the book of Romans was written, very likely Nero was the emperor there. And if you go to the Circus Maximus, you look up, there is right above is uh, Nero's palace. And maybe it was being built during the time. There's some, some leeway on when Romans was written within a few years, so we don't know exactly when, when if Nero's palace, how, how far that was advanced during the time of the writing. But just a tremendous place. Even today, you go up and you walk around there. It's amazing to look at. Nero was a good emperor and did very well for a number of years. And then um, after uh, one of his closest advisors passed away, Nero, from that time on, ne was never a good emperor. And he changed, and he uh, became um, a very... Um, just was afraid of everything, afraid of his shadow, and, and always thought that somebody was after him, and so his, his response was, who, who can I kill to try to consolidate my own power? Very selfish. And Nero, what happens very shortly after Romans is written, uh, Nero is uh, ruling there in Rome, and there is a, a great fire that burns a big chunk of the town. And so what Nero does is he's got a problem. Okay, wait a minute. Part of the city is burned down here, and, ooh, I'm not very popular anyway, so I better do something about this. And Nero comes out, orders his legions to go out around Rome, and says, the Christians have started this fire, and we're going to execute all of them. Bring them out. We're going to start killing them. And right below his palace there in the Circus Maximus, Nero comes out in his chariot, dressed up as a, as a Roman legionary, and rides around in his chariot. And the Romans, at uh, this Suetonius, a Roman um, historian, speaks about this. He says that none of the Romans really believed that, none of us believed that the Christians started this fire. We didn't like them anyway, and we didn't want them around, but we felt that when we saw these Christians being put on crosses all around the Circus Maximus and Nero riding around in his chariot, we thought, <laughs> this isn't right. This isn't right. And just imagine the words of Paul that must have come to the minds of the Christians going through this in the next few years. No, in all this, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. As near the people, the Christians, says, I'm a child of God, and I am just in the process of inheriting everything here. And this guy that is the emperor that's supposed to be a conqueror, bit, and everyone's going to change quickly here. Titus was one, and the arch, I think I've shared with you, is there in Rome, the flattened Jerusalem. A few years after this, and he is, uh, there is, uh, he was one that uh, the Roman Christians and the Jewish Christians would have to wrestle with. Is everybody else looks at Titus as being a great military leader and a great conqueror, but I'm more than that. I'm more than conqueror because of what Jesus has done for me, and I'm inheriting all of this. Another one, Domitian. Domitian is the first emperor to really try to eradicate Christians empire wide. He is called by one of the Roman historians as being a sane devil, as one who was, was strategically evil, just a terrible person. And he's, um, after, things have a way of coming around even before eternity starts, or eternity continues, I guess, with Jesus returning. But both Nero and Domitian, their memories were condemned by the Romans. And, and there's, it's kind of amazing that any of their statues even existed because the um, uh, when they passed away, the response was so violent against them by the, the Roman people. But in all this, the, look at these, these Romans, these Roman Christians had been thinking, man, all these people, 
in the years afterwards as they're remembering the words of Paul. Here's these people that the world looks at as being great conquerors, but you know they just have power for a bit. They just have power for a bit. And God is continuing to work. And I'm more than a conqueror. I started to think this week about uh, who are our conquerors or who are our heroes that we put up as people who are, who are, who are great, that demonstrate great power and, and that. And I think about that. What is, what, who are those people? And there's, there's all sorts. I had trouble coming up with, you know, there's, because what I found in our world is that just about everybody I put up here, people would go, oh, yeah, that's great. Or, oh, no, why'd you put that picture up there kind of thing. So I'll just give a few. Here's some of our conquerors. Man, I got to tell you, fellas, what I just saw, and I was looking for this. When I put this up there, I saw the ladies go. <laughs> okay, yep, Thor is a great conqueror, you know. Katniss Everdeen, here's another one, you know. Nah, so yeah. Here's another one, here's another great conqueror. Tom Brady. How many are Tom Brady fans? Yeah, I'm not either. I'm not either. I'm a cowboy fan. That's hard on me to see that picture. But a great conqueror. Can't, can't argue with his success. Allison Felix, one of the greatest track athletes, female track athletes in recent history from the U.S. You know, amazing runner. Um, she's a conqueror. Um, George Washington is one that we look to as, a, as someone who has been a great conqueror and someone we look to. Who knows who this is? Yeah, I, who is that? No, not Madame Curie. This is Jeanette Rankin. Another story of Jeanette Rankin. This is close to home in Montana. Jeanette Rankin served in Washington. I don't remember, is the Senate, is the Senator House of Representatives, House of Representatives, I think, is where she, is that correct? She served in the House of Representatives, and she was the first female to do so, and she was elected before women could vote. This must have been a tremendous lady, you know. She's something. Yeah, she was rich too. Okay, well, that's, that's part of it probably. Yeah. Amazing lady, tremendous lady. And so you look at this and you think, man, these are people that, that we look to and think, man, these are conquerors. These are people that, that have stuff together. Let's go back and read through Romans again. Here, verse 31. Chapter 8, verse 31. What shall we say then in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, um, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. So it doesn't matter what charges are brought against Christians and what, what, what ugly or nasty things are said or if you're taken and executed. It doesn't matter because no one can bring a charge against you that's going to stick. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who is raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And when these people got that message, nothing can separate you from God because it doesn't matter how many statues are out there, it doesn't matter how many arches are out there, it doesn't matter how many legionaries are at your door taking you away, you are more than conquerors. You have already inherited all this. And it doesn't matter what happens because nobody can take that away from you. Nobody. 
And I can't help but think that this message changed these people that were listening to this originally. And when those people did come, when the Romans did come, and those persecutions did started, did start, they were able to say, it's okay. It's okay. Because I'm more than any conqueror here. I'm more than that. Because I am inheriting the kingdom of God, and that is something so much bigger. Now think about that for us. There's a whole lot of things that we could go, that we could walk through, and ways that we could unpack this. But one of the things I thought about is for us to remember is, is never, don't let Satan ever tell you to get in that in your head is that, boy, I'm not enough, I'm not good enough for God. I'm not, boy, I'm just not, oh, I just, I, this is, oh, I don't know. Maybe this isn't worth it. Don't let Satan speak to you that way because there's nobody that can take away the love of God from you. Nobody can do that. The only way is we decide that we're going to say, I'm going to be a slave of righteous or of sin, and I'm going to pursue that, and I'm going to pursue that, and I'm going to, that's where I'm going. But the love of God is hard to run from, and God has a way of catching up with us and bringing us back into what he wants us to be. And so live with confidence. Live with confidence that God is there. God is pulling for you. He's working good, and there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. It's can't happen. And so continue keeping on, keeping on. Something else that I thought about is it's very important. I imagine these these Roman young people looked up to, they had their favorite gladiator or centurion or whatever, you know, those kind of things. And there's many honorable people for us to look up to. But I believe if we're going to be the people of God, it's important to make sure that our heroes are people that ultimately are people of God. And those are the people we look at and say, boy, that guy is more than conqueror, that girl is more than conqueror. Those are the examples that show something really powerful for me, that change me, that make me be the person that, that God wants me to be. Because when, that's when, that, when our heroes are people that are more than conquerors, we view the world differently. And God, uh, God uses us to do pretty amazing stuff. It's a, it's a great day. Great day to be in God's kingdom. It's a great day... Uh, uh, to be to be here in Belgrade, Montana, beautiful place. And I hope as we walk out of here and go to our life groups and, and consider how we can be a blessing to, um, as Mark's going to share, the, the angel tree here in just a minute. Remember that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And so no matter what happens, day in, day out, wake up and say, I'm going to be God's person today, and we live out that every day. If you'd like to become a Christian today, you're welcome to come forward. Or if you'd like prayers, you can head to the back. The elders are waiting to pray with you back there. Or you can come forward as well. Let's stand and sing together.